If you guys have your Bibles, open up Psalm 90. We start book 4 of the Psalms. As we do, it's kind of funny. A lot of times um, when, you, when you teach the Word, uh, it's funny, Pastor Gerald used to always tell me, you, you end up living or something in your life going through the stuff you're, you're studying. And uh, on Thursday nights, we're, we're doing an apologetics course, and we're, we're currently talking about the doctrine of God and just establishing who God is. And, you know, there's no end of lists to describe the character and attributes of God. But um, on mine, I have something like, I don't know, 20, 20 different attributes and characteristics of God that we're working our way through. And uh, some of them are, are deep and, and, and uh, weighty and they make you think. I think that's kind of the purpose. See, we come to know the character of God through his revelation to us, through his word. I mean, apart from God condescending to us, we wouldn't know anything about God. The Bible's pretty clear. No man seeks God. That the point of the phrase, no man seeks God, doesn't mean that there's never been a time in your life when you weren't looking for something else. It means that apart from God stepping out of heaven and reaching down to us, we would not have reached up to him. He showed us. He revealed himself to us. He uh, um, talked to Adam and Eve. He expressed himself to Abraham. And all along the way, as we look at God, as he, as he, uh, you see this progressive revelation of God from Adam and Eve, through Noah, through Abraham, into Moses, God shows a little bit more all the time. And it's kind of neat, because when you get into Moses, and you're looking in the, in the book of Exodus, I remember Daniel talking to me about this when he was going through it. When God gets to that point, he's telling Moses, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you who I am. And he says, you know, basically he's saying, don't, don't sweat Pharaoh, I got Pharaoh, this is a... Jackie paraphrase, feel free to, to read it. I think it's like Exodus 33 or somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood when, when he's talking about this. Um, but anyways, he says, don't, don't worry about, about all that stuff. Listen, um, I revealed more of me to you than I did to anybody else. He said, I, I showed myself to Abraham, but as Yahweh, he knew me not. He says that, he, you know, he, he revealed so much of himself and he spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed God and was accounting him to rights. All that stuff's true, but God reveals more to Moses. And ultimately, for you and I, more through Jesus Christ, his son, right? God in, in times past spoke to us in various ways through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us how? By his son, right? Expressing really all there is to know about him all that i shouldn't say all we need to know to uh, to know what god's looking for from us is expressed through jesus christ his son and we look at that and we 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 begin to think about some of the things some of the some of the ideas about how big god is and and it's funny because we study 
theology, which is a necessary, I guess you could call it a necessary evil. The Bible tells us, right, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord our God, how? All our heart. What else? Oh, what was that second word you guys just said? Mind? He wants us to love him with our mind? You mean, maybe there's some work involved. What do you think? Right? Love me with all your heart, soul, concept of your... Obviously, God wants our whole being, right? Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants all of us. But part of that is our mind, our intellect, learning, desiring to understand more and, and more about Him. So He wants us to chase those things down and to, and to wrestle with the concept. Because what's that mean? That when, when I am... I love my wife like I have... Uh, never loved anybody, human person on earth, ever. And when I love her, I want to know her. I want to understand what that, what it means when, when her nose wrinkles. What it means when her eyes turn a certain way. Or, you know, when she, when she looks away all of a sudden. I want to know all that. I want to know everything about her so that I can know her now that's a human relationship right and in varying degrees we all experience that in a human relationship what makes us think that god wants less than that in a spiritual relationship with him to know him to know everything about him what he's like what he's thinking what's going on in him and around him and for him and through him and so really this is what I think God's calling us to in Psalm 90. So we look at Psalm 90, the beginning of book 4. There's five books in Psalms, which means, you know, sometime in the next year we'll finish. So we're, <laughs> there's no race, right? Everybody keeps telling me, there's no race. January? Yeah, it won't happen. We might be in the hundreds by January, but that's about far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> okay, so we look at it. Look what it says. Lord, you have been my dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So in the beginning of Psalm 90, which is a prayer of Moses, a psalm attributed to Moses, when we come to this psalm, listen, he's, he begins with the eternality of God, the transcendence, the bigness, uh, whatever words you want to use, that God is eternally other and extraordinary and bigger and the whole deal and so he the way he does it is he describes god being from eternity look he says you have been our dwelling place he's obviously speaking as a, as a nation right he's moses the 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 deliverer who brings the children of israel in out of the uh bondage and in toward the promised land and as he's doing all that, as he's working on it, he says, you have been our dwelling place. God himself is the place where we dwell. And when you think about Moses and taking the children of Israel out and the whole idea of God showing them the tabernacle and, and the idea of uh, just kind of put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute and sit on top of a mountain. Actually, let's back up before the top of the mountain. We're at the bottom of the mountain, and people are all gathered. And there's this mountain, and above the mountain is lightning and thunder and, and darkness, a storm brewing. And out of all of that comes a voice that 
reads to everyone the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. He speaks it. In fact, it's after he speaks it that all the children of Israel say, this is too much for us, this is too much for us. Moses, you go talk to him. So that's what Moses does. He says, okay, so he, he goes up on top of the mountain and he's up there. Now, you guys all know the story, right? The people are thinking he's never coming back. But it's, it's not that long from the experience. 40 days maybe he's up there. Maybe that's how long. So, so he's up there, people are down there, they're wondering, is Moses ever coming back? Did he live through it? Maybe he died up there on the mountain. I don't know. You know. So the people are doing their thing. But up on the mountain, Moses is experiencing God like nobody ever had in the history of the universe until that point. And he's, he's, he's experiencing so much of God. I just, just think about it because really birthed out of that moment on that mountain, on Mount Sinai, birthed out of that moment is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, with the exception of parts of the narrative of their journeys. But really, you read the book of Leviticus, what is Leviticus? We're talking about the law. Where do you get that? Up on a mountain. Up on the mountain. the mountain. All the, the holiness of God and the beauty of God. And I just want you to think, in all of that revelation, what is it that God's showing Moses? He's showing him his character, who he is. His attributes. He's experiencing them as he sits there and they talk about the law and they, they talk about a, a sacrificial system. And not only does he have the Ten Commandments, he's going to end up with blueprints for a tabernacle. And he comes down, we go through the golden. Think, think how disappointed Moses is. Up 40 days, all this beauty, majesty of God, incredible experience. Wow, this is the highest high he could ever have. And then he comes down and the children of Israel are having a, a, a you know, a dancing naked orgy around a golden calf. And it's like, have I honestly been gone that long? What happened? What happened? And then, then we have the whole experience, what happens down there, God choosing from himself. It's at that moment, really, that, that God chooses the, the Levitical tribe. Prior to that, the firstborn was the high priest of the family. Then God chooses the Levitical tribe. And you know all this stuff goes on. He goes back up. He gets the plans. Got the sacrificial system. Got the law. God brings him through all that time. Expressing all that stuff. And what happens is as the children of Israel move around. Everywhere they go, God is central. He's the middle of the camp. When they camp, tabernacles in the middle pillar of fire and the cloud hover over top centrality theocentric society right the the idea is that they're centered on god when god moves they move when god stops they stop centered on him so when moses says from all eternity you've been our dwelling place that's what he's talking about your you are God, you are my sanctuary, my safe place, the only place I feel right, right? That mankind around the world is struggling for a place where he belongs. And God's message revealed through the the prophets, through the law and through Jesus Christ is you belong with me.
So here's what Moses says. You're, you're our dwelling place. Every generation, forever, for all times. And then how far back does he go? Before the mountains were brought forth. forth. That sounds nice, right? Literally in Hebrew, it's before the mountains were born. Before the mountains were birthed. Or ever you had formed the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he says, anytime in the, in the Hebrew you have from everlasting to everlasting, it's like, it's eternity. That's their phrase for forever and ever and ever and never was there ever any time other than that. You can't go longer. Can't be longer or further back than from everlasting to everlasting. Beyond your vanishing point. As far back as you can go. And then he begins, not only, first he, he, he kind of lays this out. Okay, God's our dwelling place and he's eternal. Big, right? You guys get it? He's big. Eternal. Last forever. He was here before there was a world and he'll be here long after the world's gone. So God's eternal. Then he turns immediately to the frailty of man. To the weakness of man. He says, you turn man to destruction. Right? I don't know how many different versions we got here. Bibles we got. Whenever I study, I like to, to read five of them. So, um, that word destruction is also the word dust. You turn man into dust. How, how did man get birth? How was he created? From dust he created us, and to dust we return, right? How's that phrase go? Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust, right? The idea that, that man is not eternal. What happens to us? We don't last beyond creation. We, we fall apart, right? Anybody a living example of falling apart? Yeah. yeah. The older I get, the better I was, right? I, I, I'm not even sure I could ever do the things I think I could do. I just know I can't do them now. No, I can't. The floor is too far away. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, I can only imagine, John. I seen you last week. You look like you had a rough week. <laughs> okay, so man's going to the dust. And say, return, O children of man. So the idea is you're returning to what you were made from. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like the watch of the night. Now a lot of people do this. You guys have probably all heard people do this. And whenever you hear somebody do this, run. Okay. For to the Lord a thousand day a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years and so and then immediately they start making some crazy statement. So so you know whatever we've been here 6000 years and so it's time for the millennial reign to start and so this is the beginning of the 7000th year and Jesus come back any time. Or uh the every day of creation was a thousand years. Because a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years. You guys ever heard any of that stuff? So just pitch that out of your mind. Because that is lame. So when the, for, for the Hebrew mind, for the Greek mind, a thousand years is definitely not always a literal thousand years. But what's he, what is the point? What is he saying here? A thousand, a thousand years, he says, is, uh, is like yesterday. A thousand years is like yesterday, but don't forget the next part. And the watch in the night. So a watch in the night is like, you know, the, the last watch. The guy who, who stays up till the sun comes up. So a thousand years is like yesterday and a watch in the night. What's he saying? 
It's to God, he's outside, right? Time doesn't affect God like it affects us. Yeah? The time goes by quick for him. And he's going to build on this idea as we work our way through the psalm. Look at it. He's going to build on it over and over again. Our time is not God's time. I don't like to use the phrase, God is outside of time, because it, that leads us to thinking uh, um, thoughts that are not theologically sound if we continue to follow that uh, line of thinking. But God's time is not our time. His time is not our time. He is eternal. We are not eternal. Right? So to God, what's a thousand years? That's nothing. To us, well, that's kind of a big deal. We'll all be gone. Right? If there's a thousand more years, it's over. We're, we, we, we're, nobody even remember us. Well, maybe some of you guys. Nobody's going to remember me. A thousand years, I'll, I'll just be gone. It's, it's, so the point is, God's time's not like our time. Look what he says in verse 5. You carry them away like a flood. Who's the them he's talking about? Mankind. Okay? Mankind. So he's talking about the frailty of mankind, how God's time is different than our time, how man is frail, right? Dust to dust, he's falling apart. He says, you, you carry them away like a flood, uh, and they are like a sleep. It's funny because this is where it comes in handy to have multiple versions. Um, so the word literally in Hebrew is sleep. But the intent is probably that they are, it's like a dream. He's talking about time, remember? You with me? He's talking about time and how time's different. And so you carry them away like a flood. They're, 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 they're washed away like a flood comes in whoosh, and it's over. Or like a dream. You fall asleep, you have a dream, you wake up, the dream's over, right? It's done, it's passed, it goes through. It's, and then he, he builds on it. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. So he's talking about how quick life happens, right? The life, it's here, it's gone, it's happening, it's over. That's the, that's the point that he's laying out for us. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. It's, it's not eternal. God, big, eternal, massive. Uh, you know, we all, we all said things to our kids, like, that was <laughs> semi-blasphemous. We said to our kids, I know I did, you can be or do anything you set your mind to. There's only one being in the universe that can do that. Right? God can do anything he wants to. Anything he wants to. And what do we accomplish? Everything God wants us to accomplish. The idea is, is again, the focus. The bigness of God, the frailty of man. Our need. He is our safe place. He's, he's where we find uh, our sustenance. A place we, we are going to find rest. We're temporary. He's eternal. And then beginning in verse 7, he starts to talk about getting a, a vision for, a picture of the wrath uh, of God, the justice of God, the anger of God. I just think, again, I've told you we've been talking about, or we're, we're going to be talking about attributes tomorrow and characteristics of God. If, if God says he's, he um, is long-suffering or he's, Patient. Um, 
it also implies in the phrase long-suffering, patient, or slow to anger that there is a point where what happens? Yeah, where it ends. It ends. There's a point for the wrath of God, which really is an example of what the cross is all about. And if we want to have, I think, uh, an understanding of the fear of the Lord and uh, an understanding of the uh, ugliness of sin, then we find that in Leviticus. And just a close study of, of how God sees that and, and how God feels about that. Remember I told you it's like looking at that person that you love and wanting to understand the, their looks, their moods, their attitudes, their loves. It's the same way with God, right? That I want to know and understand who God is. So we see in, in verse 7 and on that, that mankind is frail and under the wrath of God. Isn't that what Romans told us? Read the, the, the first three chapters of Romans is what Romans tells us, that we're under wrath. We're under wrath. He says that, that, that mankind suppresses the truth and unrighteousness, that we're guilty before God, all of us, and we need a Savior. And ultimately, that's what he's getting to. Here's what he says. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. It's funny because when I read that, I immediately thought of the, the only T.S. Eliot quote I could ever come up with. T.S. Eliot was a poet. And he says, this is how the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. The idea that, that here is God's judgment. When he lays out our sin, you know, our sin, he says their sin is always before him. God sees it. And there is that, our, in fact, the psalmist calls it our secret sins. You know, the ones nobody else knows. But God sees them. And they, they make us wretched. They make us guilty before God. And not guilty to the point where, where there's some, some fake, uh, humble response that we're supposed to have. I, I don't think that's the point. The point is just to, to recognize in reality where we are. Remember how big he is? How small we are? And how, how much he can and does do for us. Just remembering our place and where we are. We finish our, our years with a sigh. It's a sigh. Everybody the same way. I've been at, I don't even know, more than my share of deathbeds. We all go the same way. I don't care how obnoxious a person thinks they are. We all go out with a sigh. Just one last breath. He says in verse 10, The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years. But their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off 
and we fly away. So the idea, very similar to what we see in Ecclesiastes. The idea that life is hard. Uh, is that a lie? We can get a, a, a testimony that life is hard. That we got to go through difficulty. That life is full of, of setbacks. And I'm not saying there's never a, a victory. Of course there are victories. But there's also those things you didn't see coming, right? Those events that rock you or shake you. So he's saying, look, our lives are short. 70, 80 years. What's 70 or 80 years to eternity? Like here today, gone tomorrow, right? Like the breath. That's how God describes it. And he says, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Now listen, I just want you to kind of wrestle with what he's saying there. Here's what, what Spurgeon has to say about it. Good men dread that wrath beyond conception, but they never ascribe too much terror to it. Listen, bad men are dreadfully convulsed when they awake to a sense of it, but their horror is not greater than it had need to be. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Holy Scripture, when it depicts God's wrath against sin, never uses hyperbole. It would be impossible to exaggerate. Exaggerate. God's wrath towards sin. And so the, the point that, that he's laying out is this. Lord, look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to recognize that we're not eternal. That we're not the biggest thing in the sky. That we need a reconciliation with our maker. That we're guilty men, guilty of offending God. And it's not that God is just up there saying, you're, you're no good and you're dirty and you've done all these things. But God says that and provides us the way. You're dirty and you can't make it on your own. So I bore the wrath for you. And that, that wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ, His unique Son, poured out upon Him to pave the way so that we could go to Him. So teach us the number of our days. We're not forever. Every one of them kids, guys, that was that was at the uh, uh, concert in France, they're at the, uh, Kathy thought it was the Eagles. No, it's the Eagles of Death. It's a little different. Not, it was not the Eagles, it's the Eagles of Death. Is a, it was a death metal band. But it's, you know, the, the kids were being kids. One thing I can tell you, all, I've been all around the world, and kids are the same everywhere. My different, different, little different pieces, but the bottom line, kids are kids. They do dumb stuff. But anyway, they're all at this band. They, I'm sure every one of them kids at the concert is thinking they're in this theater, and, the, and the, actually one of the guys from the band's from Joshua Tree, uh, uh, just a short distance from from where I came from. I, I didn't know the guy, but that's where he was from. And all of a sudden, people start shooting. And I don't know what the final number was, was in the theater, but people who thought they had more time met their maker singing a song 
I want to kiss the devil when the bullets ring out. Now, I'm sure they'd like to change that. So the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to, to recognize it's too late tomorrow. Today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow's too late. Today's the day. Now's the time. And I know, you know, I get in trouble every time I do this. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I will not. I, I, I won't live in fear. I won't live in fear of a people group or, you know, I can't do nothing about the crazy people in charge of things. And they're going to do what they're going to do. But I got a job to do. And the Lord told me in that job, and he told you, and he told us all, because he told us in his book, right? That we're to go to how many nations? All the nations. What's the word for nation? Ethnos. That means every ethnic group. Right? And proclaim what? The gospel. Why? Because our, our laws and our armies and our bombs and our machine guns and our bullets may keep us safe for more days. But they're not going to change man's heart. Right? They won't change it. What's going to change it is a relationship with Jesus Christ, man. Coming to know him as Lord and Savior. That's how we battle it. We don't battle it by by growing in, in fear. I'm not saying don't take care of your family. Take care of your family. I'm not saying put away all your guns. I got guns. I even like to wear them sometimes. Don't tell Rusty. And... uh <laughs> I just don't hide them. I just wear them in the open. But uh, that's part of my freedom. I have a Second Amendment right that says I can do that. I honestly have a Second Amendment right that says I can carry a gun anywhere. But I won't argue with that because Rusty's here right now. But <laughs> for some reason, I have to pay the government to have my Second Amendment right. Strange. They don't do that in Arizona. But, but nonetheless. The, but the, I'm not saying get rid of I'm not saying do, knock yourself out. Have it all. Be ready. Crazy people come try to kill your family. Feel free to put them down and say that was a bad choice. God's people fought all throughout history. But my primary job is to look for opportunities to share the gospel. The other stuff, I'm not going to be... I refuse to be afraid about it. And I also refuse to freak out. We live in a crazy world. You guys didn't know that before Paris? Did the world get more crazy all of a sudden? Because it seemed like the same crazy to me. Oh, Jackie, it's more crazy. Really? You remember, was it a year ago, some guy ran to a school and shot a bunch of little kids? He wasn't Muslim. That was homegrown. What is it? Evil. Where does it live? In the heart of every man. What gets rid of it? Jesus Christ. You with me? So we don't, I'm not saying be dumb or be foolish. I'm just saying, man, that's what we want to do. We want to take the light. So teach us the number of our days. How much time? Like I'm 51 years old. I'm half dead. I'm more than half dead. <laughs> I think all the time. I mean, me and Kathy was talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see you, John. That's, I'm on the downhill side. I can slide into that. It's coming. Holy cow. We, what we got to recognize, man. 
we got to be busy. we got to be busy. So, verse 13, we're only going to get one tonight. Return, O Lord. Return, O Lord. What's he saying? I just want you guys to grab this. I want you to, to see it. So, he's calling out for God. Look what it says. Return, O Lord. How long? Return, O Lord, and immediately, how long? I, when, when, when are you coming? When can I see you? What, what is being expressed is, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Not, I can't wait to escape. Not, I can't wait to, to get away from the hard things of life. Not, I can't wait to, to not have to, you know, pay bills anymore or suffer in the life humdrum. No, I can't wait to see you. That's love. I don't long to see my wife because it means an end to my misery somewhere else. I long to see my wife because it, I love my wife. I long to see Jesus, not because he somehow spares me from any suffering in life. I long to see Jesus because I love Jesus. I love him. I want to see him. I want to be with God. That's what he said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? All your emotion. It's love. It's not Santa Claus because he's going to get me out of something. Or he's going to spare me from this or he's going to spare me from that. And I think we all get into our little pity parties, don't we? Huh? I think I've had one at least this week. Might have had two. And what's the, what's the point of my pity party is me whining that, well, God, literally, almost literally, these words come out of my mouth. Well, God, how come, how come they didn't? What about them? Why didn't they? Oh, I can't even believe how I sound. Why? Well, who do I sound like? I sound like Peter. I sound like Peter, right? Jesus said, Peter, don't worry. This is a paraphrase. Peter, don't worry. One day... You're going to be the man. You're not going to deny me. They're going to come to you and they're going to tell you, deny me, and you won't do it. But when you say you won't deny me, they're going to pick you up and take you where you don't want to go. And then the Gospel of John says this. Jesus spoke about how Peter would die. How did Peter die? Crucified upside down, right? That upside down part was his choice. and They were going to crucify him right side up. Peter even to his dying breath, opens his mouth and, and, and creates a little more craziness for him. I don't want to be crucified like Jesus put me upside down. That had to be somehow much worse. But nonetheless, what's he do next? Jesus is walking with Peter when he tells him this. And what's Peter do? What about that guy? What, what's, what, how's he going to die? Sorry, Jeanette, I don't mean you. How, how, what about them? What's a, what, what, how come I got to do this? What about, what? you remember what Jesus said? If I want him, we got crazy people still today, by the way, who think John's still alive because Jesus said this. If I want him to stay alive till I return, what's that to you? Was Jesus' point to say that John's going to live until he returns? Or was his point to say, why do you got a problem with what happens to John? If I want him to stay alive till, till I return, what's that to you? Then what'd he tell him? You follow me. We all got that road to walk, right? 
You got yours, I got mine. We, we all got to walk the road. Jesus said, follow me. No matter how it is, no matter if it's harder for you than it is for somebody else, doesn't matter. What's Jesus say? You follow me. Or don't. But he's big and eternal and strong and mighty. And he is our dwelling place forever. He's the place where we're safe. He's our refuge. He's the place that holds us. So when he says, return, O Lord, he loves God. I can't wait to see you. For you. If you want to be to heaven, if, if, if you could have heaven without Jesus, and that'd be okay for you, then you don't really know him. If, if, heaven were, if you could have heaven and all the people who ever died that you ever lost would all be there and, and your pet dogs and frogs and fish and whatever things that you cling to so hard, if you could have all that and not Jesus and you take it, you don't know him. You don't know him. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus being there. Everything else is icing on the cake. But Jesus is, he's it. He's it. We want him. We want you. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So look how he calls out. Now, as he's thinking about, look, I just want you to see the whole picture. He's thinking about the frailty of man. We're under wrath. God is eternal. You know, I'm guilty before God. So what's he ask God for? Satisfy us early with your mercy. We need your mercy. We need your mercy. We, we need your grace. And I might rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Make us glad like you did when we were in the desert. It's Moses, right? Make us glad like them days. Remember them days when, when we were walking in the desert and everybody was crying because they were all thirsty. And no, everybody, nobody had water and they're complaining and bickering. Make us glad like that. Because what did they get to see in those days? The deliverance of God over and over and over, right? Every morning, manna, what they needed, just dropping out of the sky. Every day, their sustenance. The years in which we have seen evil. Gosh, make us glad. Show us your mercy. Help us to see, even in those times, we could see you moving, working for us. Then let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let your work appear to your servants. Let us see the fingerprints of God. We gotta, that's a prayer we need to be praying. God, show me your fingerprints in this. Because sometimes we think, you know, God checked out and he lost track of what's happening to us. So I want to be able to see your work. Help me see your fingerprints around me. That I know, I know and I know. You're big and you got me. You got me. Jesus said we're in his hands, right? Can anybody snatch us out? He says my father's mightier than I and you're in his hands. Can anybody snatch us out? No, man. God's got us. 
He's got us. His hands are on us. And he says, reveal, show your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. We are all made how? In the image of God. So he says, let your... Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Let that, let what's supposed to reflect through us is that relationship. We got that relationship with God. We, we got those channels open. We got the love of God poured out in our life. We got the beauty of God coming down. We got God touching and moving and working in our life. We want that beauty to shine through, right? Let that beauty be seen. Let it be expressed. Let it be shown upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. For unless the Lord builds a house, what? They labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord build the house. Unless God guide our, our directions and our way. Unless God shows us where he wants us to go and how he wants us to get there. Unless we allow God to do his thing. Right? It's hard. I always think of uh, of Abraham. You know, you guys get that Abraham loved Ishmael, right? We got fathers with, with, with children. You imagine just taking your child and turning them loose? Yeah, ain't no way. Right? How did God prepare Ishmael for that? How did God prepare Abraham for that? Um, the day comes and God says, Listen to Sarah, Abraham, put your son out. You remember what Abraham did? Gave him one skin of water. Abraham's a rich guy. Plenty of money, plenty of stuff. But he did the best thing he could ever do for Ishmael. I'll tell you this. I, I full on believe we get to heaven. Ishmael's going to be there. I'll, you can endlessly argue the point with me. I'm a good arguer, so I'll win. Well, why? Because of what Abraham taught him. What did Abraham teach him? Don't look to me. As your salvation. Don't look to me as the guy who's going to get you out of trouble. Don't look to me as the one who can deliver you through the hardships of life. Where did he teach him to look? God. So it wasn't very long. Ishmael's out of water, right? Hagar don't have no water. She lays the baby down. Doesn't want to see him die. Goes off to weep under a, under a bush. She named that place. The God who sees. Because what happened? God showed up. Delivered him. Made a mighty nation from Ishmael. Took care of him. What did God teach him? I've got you. What's the best lesson we could ever teach our kids? God's got you. God's got you. I can't save you. I can't solve all your problems. I can't fix all your brokenness. God's got you. God's got you. He's big, eternal. We're small, temporal. He lasts forever. We last like the grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. But God, he has a purpose for you. And just like Ishmael, he'll meet you in the desert. 
And he'll give you what you need. So you become the, the man or woman he wants you to be. Amen? From that springs a song of Moses. He's a big God. And he is able to save. Amen? Let's pray.